in the name of our loving, liberating, and life-giving God. Amen. Kindly be seated, my sisters and brothers in Christ. I am glad that I normally have sort of two sermons, I, because I don't know why I got it in my head that your church was air-conditioned, so I said, <laughs> I had this 45-minute sermon, but I, I want you to know that I have a 10-minute one, <laughs> because when uh, Jarrett, my dear friend, your wonderful rector, invited me for this wonderful opportunity, I said that... Uh, you know, I wanted to really sort of ask you to join with me in thinking about Caribbean emancipation. And so my wife and I, my dear wife Andrea, we, we, we walk through the door and she points out to me that the Barbados flag is on this side and the Trinidad flag is on that side. So the, the fight has already begun. For bodies that are broken, for hearts that are crushed, for traumatized souls, we pray. For a nation to find its soul, for a people to humble themselves, for prayers that lead to action, we pray. That to me, my dear friends, is at the heart of what emancipation represents. Emancipation, hopefully, is not just some wonderful ideal for us to commemorate on special occasions. But hopefully emancipation is something which gets us thinking and dreaming for the world as uh, our presiding bishop so beautifully puts it, the world that God dreams of rather than the nightmare that we live. And as I thought of that, that was even prior to the recent tragic events, 250 and 251, the shooting in El Paso and the shootings in Dayton, Ohio. How sad. How sad, how tragic that we live in a world where our joy can be stolen away from us by people who seem hell-bent on hate. We live in a world, unfortunately, my dear friends, where, as Stephen Matson says, to say Jesus loves immigrants and refugees is often interpreted as a partisan rhetoric and not a divine truth. But those of us who call ourselves members of the Jesus Kingdom, we need to rewrite the narrative. We need to be willing to stand up and be counted. We need to speak with one voice, even though sometimes we may disagree on how to get there. Hopefully, we are people of love, the way of love. This past Lent at Trinity Cathedral, I'm the Dean of Trinity Cathedral for the past 13 years. And this past Lent, we used that as our Bible study for the Lent. 
the way of love. Not because it sounded like a wonderful notion, but because we wanted to sort of unpack what it means to live the way of love. The way of love which really lifts up the truth that all of us were created to be free. Freedom is not something that is only American. Freedom is something that we all yearn for as God's people. I was happy to see on the bulletin, it said Caribbean emancipation because emancipation, I, I want you to know historically, and this is a fact, I mean, I'm not trying to start another debate among nations here, but in Trinidad and Tobago, it was one of the first nations to celebrate the abolition of slavery. And so emancipation is a big idea. I'm not trying to tell you that Trinidad and Tobago is this utopic paradise where we have it all together. That's not true. But we live into the reality that God created us all to be free. I want you to journey with me for a little bit this evening about three aspects of the word emancipation. One, the word itself. Secondly, the reality in which we live. And finally, the hope that we long for. It was that great Caribbean poet and musician, Bob Marley, who wrote the beautiful song, and you can Google it when you get home, it's called the Redemption Song. And he says, emancipate yourself from mental slavery. Because you see, it's one thing to sort of have the shackles removed from your hands. But what, are the sh what about the shackles that shackle your mind? The shackles that tell our children, you are not going to be all that you can be. The shackles which limit our people. You can't do that. We've all heard that growing up. At least many of us have. It's those sort of shackles that hopefully is part of our emancipation journey. I want you to know that I have raised three children born in these United States, in the city of Brooklyn. And oftentimes, you know, I, I tell the joke that, you know, though my wife is from Barbados and I'm from Trinidad, we get all voted because there are three Americans and they, they gang up together. And, uh, and now that they are young adults, you know, they, 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 they tell us they know their rights. And, you know, they, so they, they're very quick to establish that. But I am proud to have raised two daughters who know that they can dream and be anything that they want to be. The eldest went to Stanford University on a full scholarship. And someone said to her, did you get that because of affirmative action? She said, not at all. I am a four-point GPA student. I'm a top honors student, she says very proudly. She claims that. And when we would have preferred for her to go to school closer to home, she said, Daddy, I got into Stanford University. Not many people get into Stanford University. So we gave her that opportunity to, to launch forth. The other one went to University of Delaware, and she will tell you in a moment, that's nothing to snuff at either. And uh, they've made us very proud. 
our son is the, is the biggest of the challenges. He has changed his major about four times, and, and our gray hairs are plenty on our head as we try to get him to the finish line. But we thank God for unshackling them in a way in which they believe and they know in their hearts that they can be all that they can be. Would that all God's children had that belief and had that affirmation. But you and I know that the reality is different. I brought as a gift for my dear friend Jared, and Jared and I go way back. I love him dearly because he's not just a person of the word, he is a person of great action. He's, you know, you know, he said to me in the sacristy just now, I'm not a, I'm not a conformative kind of person. I said, Jared, that's the last thing that I didn't know about you. I, I know that you, I, I know you are radical. He has gone with me on many marches. He has walked alongside with me as a brother in Christ. And I really appreciate his friendship. But the reality is that we live in a world, my dear friends, where too many of our sisters and brothers don't share a level playing field. Where no matter how hard you have worked, I don't know how many of you know the story of a gentleman and his wife on their way home to a place called Chad's Road. You know that story? Chad's Moor. And pulled aside because he looked suspicious according to the officer. Too often that happens in this country in which you and I so proudly call America and home. Where people can be pulled aside simply because driving while black. Where too often there's a difference in the way people are perceived. There's a wonderful book called Post-Traumatic Syndrome, Slave Syndrome. I gave Jared a copy and I invite many of you to look it up and get a copy. It talks about the trauma of slavery and how too often we are told by people, get over it, it's something old. And that's not only by white folk. Sometimes black folks say that to each other. Get over it. That's all. But in no other, I submit to you, that in very few other experiences, you wouldn't say to our Jewish sisters and brothers, get over the Holocaust. No. There are museums and there are places where people can process the trauma. Because trauma is not something you get over overnight, my dear friends. And that is not to blame anyone that's sitting in this room. That is just to say, let us acknowledge that there has been great trauma. And let us acknowledge that the God who created us, Joy Larry in a book says, bondage is antithetical to the human condition. And nobody should feel in bondage. But too often, that is the reality for many people. Many of us refer to the president, whether he comes from the Republican Party or the Democratic Party, as the leader of the free world. But how can we say that when America has one of the highest rates of incarceration? 
as something for us to seriously consider. Now, I'm not saying that when someone breaks the law, they deserve a free pass. But I'm saying that we need to examine the conditions that create this kind of system. Because all it's doing is generating an us versus them. So much of my ministry, I have had the great privilege of working with district attorneys and with police officers. I have the greatest respect for the law. Because, you know, that's the other lie that gets told. The people of color don't respect the law. That's not true. I've worked with district attorneys to rehabilitate folk. And great joy is experienced when someone who has broken the law is able to turn their life around and become a meaningful member of society. Such a wonderful young man uh, who is a member of our diocese was recently ordained. He was incarcerated for 12 years. And um, he went to Princeton Seminary. And I was introduced to him one day over lunch. And we got to talking and I was excited. I was sharing. He was going to be a field-ed student at, my, at the cathedral. Uh, but he was coming from the Baptist Church and I was sharing with the late Bishop Council about him and Bishop Council said, you know, you Yankees fans, you're not the best judge of characters. But he says, you seem so excited about this young man, I want to meet him. So he met him. And a long story short, he was so impressed, he said, Rene, we need to get that young man for the Episcopal Church. I said, but you are the same one who said to me that the Yankee fans are not the best judge of character. He said, but no, you're right on this one. <laughs> this young man has gone on to do beautiful things in the diocese. And he was just elected the rector of the Church of the Atonement in Washington, D.C. That is how we emancipate folk. By empowering them, by enabling them, by giving them a vision beyond their limit, beyond their scope. That's what true emancipation is about. We thank God for people like Becca Stevens and Thistle Farms. You know the story of Becca? A wonderful woman who, finding out that many women were parts of something called human trafficking, pimped out by their pimps, she saw a different way. And she was able to rescue a lot of these women and restore their lives and give them new hope. That's what emancipation looks like. That's what you and I, hopefully as the people of God, are prepared to do. Yes, we are people of the word, but we also know that the word became flesh. The word became flesh. How do we help? the word of hope to become flesh in everyone's life. I know that you believe in this. You have been doing this celebration for the last four years. I hope that you will continue to do it. I hope that this church along with the other houses of worship around it will reach out to work together because it's not just 
the work of this small church. It's the work of all our community. I, once when I was in the Diocese of Long Island, Bishop Walker gave me a, a maxim that has stayed with me. He said, Rene, if your church were to close its doors today, would the community even notice? Think about that. If your church were to close its doors today, would the community even notice? You know, we, we get together on a Sunday and, you know, we play our beautiful hymns and, you know, we get excited. We even dress up for Jesus. But what about making a difference for Jesus? What about if our action preached louder than our words? May God give us the wisdom, the courage, the integrity, and the willingness to persevere in his name. Amen. Amen.